but it's not about wool. Hello, and welcome to the Young In Kotisal podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. My guest today is Kirsten Razak. Kirsten currently teaches English to young learners in Busan, South Korea, where she has lived since 2017. Her next milestone will be completing her master's in TESOL this year from the University of Sunderland. Since 2018, she has been a member of Cotisol and since 2019 has lectured for the National Institute for Education, training incoming EPIC teachers during orientation throughout the year. She is the Cotisol Busan Gyeongnam Chapters Secretary for 2021 and hopes to connect with members with or to connect members with opportunities for personal and professional development. Thank you for joining us today, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, let's get into uh, your favorite topic, which is connected with your master's degree. And we've talked a little bit about this. So can we just start with what your topic will be at the international conference? Let's go there. Oh, so yeah, my topic at the international con conference is actually part of the graduate student showcase. And um, so as you know, I'm just completing my master's in TESOL. And uh, I actually just submitted my paper on Wednesday. So it's it's that close to being done. But um, what I found while doing the, the dissertation or the thesis stage of my, my master's was that as a distance learner, I was kind of lacking a lot of um, connection with other cohorts, other students on the course, who of course were spread all over the world. And also with the supervisors and tutors, um, of course we had access by email and optionally, you know, depending on your relationship with your tutors or supervisors, you were able to reach out, you know, with other types of communication perhaps. But I, I, you know, I felt a little bit, I don't want to impose on them. I know they're so busy. And especially at the beginning of this year, you know, what happened, we know what teachers have been going through. We know what educators have been going through and of course students as well. So I didn't really want to add any more, any more pressure onto people who I'm pretty sure were at their breaking point for most of last year. So <laughs> it was a, it was a battle really between um, needing help, needing support, but then not really feeling I could always ask for it, which is, you know, obviously they would never turn you away, but it's that, sure. just that yeah. thought of, you know, not trying not to, to do the wrong thing as well, I guess. So over the course of the last year, I, I just started collecting different ways. Well, to help myself through, I was looking at different things, um, you know, online, uh, obviously, of course, like advice for writing, things like that. But then I realized that, you know, there was people out there who were going through the same thing. Um, and I, so I started finding all these different resources. And so although I didn't always get a chance to connect with people, I could see that I wasn't the only one facing, you know, certain problems with a certain chapter or, you know, there's, there's thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people going through this experience at the same time of you as you. Sure. And there's, there's different ways and means to make it easier as a distance learner specifically. So that's what I'm going to address in my 
short talk at the, the ICC. But or at the moment, we're not sure what format that's going to take. So it could be pre-recorded or a live session. I'm, I'm still waiting to find out, but hopefully I can get a lot of information in there. And the when, we I guess we don't know when it would be either. Uh, yes, we haven't received the dates yet. But I'm pretty sure as the secretary, I'll be able to put that in the newsletter, the Kotisol newsletter for our Busan Gyeongnam chapter. So please sign up to that and um, also have a look on Facebook because we'll be we'll be posting all about our chapter's members' contributions shortly, probably within the next week or so. And for those people that are just generally in the... Uh... Korea and not close to Busan, they can just get access the information on the Kotisal website, koreatesal.org, at the International Conference page. And I think the yeah. schedule is there or is being yeah. built. It's being built um, and it's pretty near to completion. All the major events and talks are in there. They're just sorting out the smaller the smaller things. And, and also our chapter will also be doing a game night on the first Saturday online heard. games night so please please do come join us for that we're very excited to be it's playing a house uh, party. games online it's a it's house a... party yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward to that and again uh, that the, it'll be scheduled and will be uh, on the uh, on the schedule yeah. as, as it but, gets uh, the the first saturday night is looking good uh yeah so so keep that Keep that evening in mind if you've got no plans. There is a lot of excitement about the International Conference. I think partly because of what it is, and I think people just need some excitement, something to get excited about right now. Right. And also, you know, I think we're really embracing the format this year, still not being able to meet in person, but everybody has learned so much. So bringing all these new skills and this knowledge together to make something even better than last year. Yeah. Um, and you know, just really exploring a new a new way to manage these events. It, it's big. This is it's really big. this is nine nine days and so many speakers and such a variety. It's really going to be cool. I'm really looking forward to it. I wanted to ask you uh, actually in the in your bio it says you know as your uh, your role at the Busan Gyeongnam chapter you are the the secretary for this year. And do you hope to connect members with opportunities for personal and professional development? I think is what it says. And so I'm just curious as how or what do you see as the future of communicating these opportunities to members and non-members alike in Korea? That's a, a really good question, a really interesting one. Um, initially, I was just focusing on what I wanted to get out there, you know, what kind of things I wanted to connect members with, because um, through Cotisol, I was able to to find, you know, different opportunities, such as teacher training. Um, I was able to learn a lot uh, from different members, and it's really helped me feel like I'm actually going somewhere in South Korea and not just here for, you know, just to taste a bit of career and a, a different type of career within Korea, different type of work. Um, and it's actually helped me to feel like, yes, I can put down roots here, um, which is you know not for everyone. But I still think some people, you know, you really need to be able to see that there's a future here or there's an impact you can make. Uh, and things you can learn outside of your immediate job. But uh, when yeah, you asked about how I was going to do that, and that really yeah. got me thinking, I was really focused on the newsletter. And of course, we're still going to work on that for our chapter. Um, and we have around 300 people on the mailing list. 
Wow. But I realized that, yeah, but uh, it's a, you know, historical emailing list um, that I've, uh, you know, we've inherited. I realized that there's actually lots of different ways that, you know, I could get uh, to a wider audience because, of course, our members are important, but we also want to bring in new members or, you know, get other people to contribute. So uh, I started thinking about it might be, you know, possible to to produce some sort of content for Instagram, which is something that I use a lot. And I think certain members that might be coming through would use, you know, maybe a younger generation of members. Um, And also what you're doing, podcasts. I mean, uh, that got me thinking. I've only recently started listening to podcasts, but I found it to be so, like, enriching uh, just to listen to people's conversations on topics. And yeah, so that's something I would like to start exploring. And yeah, I'm just thinking, like, how can how can I get uh, content out there that's like, oh, I'm not sure what the word is, edible, more edible, easily consumable, relevant. Um, and, and I also realized, you know, I need to ask the members, what do they want? You know, what kind of personal and professional development are they interested in? So I think that's the next task, as well as getting out the next newsletter. I think uh, I'll be putting together some kind of survey of our of our chapter members and maybe even reaching out to Curtisol members beyond that just to see, uh, you know, what they need. Uh, and, and this is the news. You first heard it here because I just came up with that yesterday. So uh, that's breaking news. Um, or hopefully something that will happen uh, within the next few weeks. Wow, that, that is great. So using the idea of podcasting that you mentioned, and just because that's kind of my favorite thing, I'm curious, and this is just a personal thing, is have you thought about using a podcast as part of a, a, a teaching tool in a classroom or as a classroom project or something like that? Is that something you've pondered? I I've thought about lots of different ways, um, yeah, to bring things into the classroom and podcasts. Oh, that would be really interesting. I teach in elementary school, so um, w- within the curriculum, I've never been able to incorporate those kind of projects into mm. the curriculum, like into our regular English classes so far, because I work with a co-teacher, and it's not that they don't like these ideas but they don't always want to do them i think because of time and sure. the they want to get through the the textbook english or the, the you know and the testing and then towards the end of the year right now you know we're not doing the regular english anymore but again there hasn't been time to do longer projects which is really a shame so i've managed to work in some of my personal like book projects and uh, things like that. I usually take a story, you know, and make some worksheets. And if the story has a related movie, then we watch the movie. So yeah, it's not technology related. But what I was going to say actually was, I think there's among certain teachers, you know, not, nothing, not saying this is bad, because this is just the way things are. They're very uh, resistant to bringing new technology into the classroom. They're comfortable with what we already have, you know, using PowerPoints, um, Sometimes we can hook up a little video to the screen so we can show students work. Now, they're not allowed to move around, but we can, you know, put it onto the view screen. 
So as, as long as it's technology they're familiar with, they're fine with it. But as soon as you start trying to bring in new technology, because of course there'll always be issues, um, they don't always want that extra extra stress. So if it's something that I can really own and take care of, it can be possible. I would say that to, to you know to do a podcast would be excellent for an English club. Uh, mm -hmm. We do after school yeah. classes in public schools. And if you could get the principal and vice principal on board and the English department, then and they knew that you were going to take care of everything, that would be an excellent project for for uh, you know actually doing with the students. That would be really lovely. Technology is a scary thing, and which is partly why this international conference is so great at sort of addressing whatever technological questions people might have, especially during this coronavirus. Uh, I'm just curious, in your classrooms, are you still face to face, or are you doing uh, online classes? In public schools, it's actually quite yeah. complicated because you've got um, what the regional local government is, is uh, you know, telling you to do, as in uh, the level that you're at. It, it varies by city. It varies by region at the moment. And then you've you within that, the school can decide uh, what they mm -hmm. do. So you've, you'll have some schools I've heard have been, you know, very heavy on the Zoom lessons or almost all Zoom lessons. And yes, yeah, students maybe don't come in at all because in their area there might have been a lot of cases right. uh, in my school for example we were at one point going between three different uh you know teaching methods we had zoom classes uh, we had online classes where they would log on to a software called Classting, access lessons so it could be videos questions quizzes either within the software or you know connected to other platforms on the mm. web and then we also had in-person classes. Wow. Uh, so it was really, it was really uh, confusing. Uh, it was, we, we, we still, we still have a new timetable every week. At the moment, we are one third of students in school at any time. So two grades usually on any given day. So I'm teaching certain grades in person because they're in school at the you know right time our timetables mm -hmm. match up and then i'm teaching or i'm trying to prepare online materials for other grades which i don't get to see and then i'm switching between grades just even it out a bit for the in-person classes so i don't know whether i'm coming or going to be honest <laughs> and so now like a uh, new year is coming up so they're missing some days so on those weeks the timetable has changed again and then there's graduation day, so that week the timetable has changed again. Wow! You know, um, I'll I'll be honest. Um, we just tried to get through every week and just gotten used to not knowing. Like career is normal for that. You never know what's going to happen. The career is a surprise. But this is just every day. You just come in and you just have to see what's going to happen, and you can you prepare as best you can, and mm. and that's really all you can do. It's really um, exciting. It's exciting. Uh, you know, you have to remember the schools, they're juggling how many subjects, maybe 12 different subjects. Yeah. They're jug juggling the grade grade teachers, the special subject teachers. Um, so it's not like, you know, they can't get organized. They're, no, they're no. literally redoing a schedule every single week and having all the teachers agree and submit things. So it, it's a nightmare for them, for the, for the organization. So it's, it's, you know, nothing that, but they're they're working really hard to make sure that the the kids are getting rounded education as much as possible in these circumstances. I do not envy the uh, the scheduler. That what a job! Oh, 
Yeah, uh, I think, you know, people are really looking forward to uh, the, the spring break and um, people are really hoping that this is not the situation we will be in, obviously starting in the next new year, but uh, I, I don't really see how it can be uh, much different. So, well. Uh, yeah, step by step, I um, we'll mm. get back to normal. But what does that normal look like? And that's kind of a question that comes up a lot is, you know, are we going back to just the way it was? Or what do we take from this experience? What do you think you will carry forward from this experience? I think I'm I'm actually very grateful for a lot of the experiences that I've had. I don't think I could say with confidence before this, you know, pandemic that, oh, yes, I can um, teach online. Um, I'm not saying that I'm great at teaching online, but I think we've just had to adapt and we've had to really uh, consider things like what is an online lesson? It's not the same as a classroom lesson. So everyone has this like acute awareness now of of if we need to teach online or even uh, teaching on the telephone I've done teaching on the telephone for a conversation yeah. you know how do you organize that lesson what do you put into that lesson what do they do by themselves so I guess in that way it becomes um, I don't know if it's exactly blended learning or flip learning but students had to come prepared I had to come prepared and then we had a conversation so it was very different from in the classroom. They come to the classroom and then we tell them usually what they're going to do. That was just the way that we've managed it. But now we've really, everybody has experimented in different ways with uh, different aspects of learning. And there's a really big shift to the learning that happens out of class, but then trying to be able to monitor that, trying to be able to, encourage students it's been really hard for them to to stay motivated i know there's been several talks online about that i think i joined one several months ago and it, it has been really hard for students of all ages to even you know have the energy to to log in again and again mm -hmm. and again to these like zooms or whatever meetings they're having because it's not the same is it no no it, it can't be the same uh, i i think that there's um from this, maybe there's some opportunities to uh, for I don't some more of the informal English. I'm just thinking because of students not being in school, uh, there was some snow. I don't I don't know where the elementary students are even in classes right now, but uh, there were some kids out uh, playing in the snow, and I was out shoveling some snow, and I just started. We built some snowmen, and we, I spent about two hours out with them. But that's probably the amount of English that I shared with them, and they shared with me, perhaps more than they've had in in quite a while. I'm guessing it, and they it was great. My back was kind of sore, but it was <laughs> the English part was uh, was great. I thought um, so. Informal opportunities still. Yeah, that's excellent. Actually, I th I think a lot of um, the students are. They, they've been focused on the, the testing and not really on the, the lessons so much Sure. Um, as it's gone on. And now that it's the end of the semester, they, they do the lessons around the things that they're doing at home. That mm. makes sense. Rather yeah, than sure. focusing on it like a school day. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
because you know their development is happening in in all areas of their life not just in the classroom and it, it's really important for them to be doing other things i think as well yeah the the teachers i mean you said you struggled a little bit with some teachers that are maybe it's not wrong, but uh, they're, they're sort of comfortable in, in what they're doing and hard to get them to uh, think outside of the box and sort of connect with what's actually happening now. And I want to get into, I noticed that you do teacher training for the, uh, for the EPIC teachers that are coming in and, I mean, sort of tying in with your passion for communicating. I'm wondering how that passion manifests itself in, it, in your teacher training. Right. So my background is in a kind of, I don't know, the creative industries in London, like advertising. And my major was graphic design. So I, yeah, so I was, I was working for many years with like, you know, small companies, huge corporate companies. Um, And um, so that's the kind of background I came from. And when I came to Korea, you know, it stood me in good stead, I think, especially for designing materials, because I had that design eye. So mm. language is often about, you know, getting something across in the simplest way possible, especially when, you know, you're not sharing common languages. So in that respect, I think, you know, I, I had some, I had a lot of transferable skills. Uh, but one one thing that I really struggled with when I first came here was I wanted to be an amazing teacher. So I was looking around me, you know, at either colleagues or other, uh, you know, foreign English teachers, guest English teachers and thinking, oh, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. But what I what I completely ignored was like me, who I was, you know, and what I could bring to the classroom. And, it, you know, it makes you really stressed if you see someone even in our orientation giving like a really good mock class or, or, or short presentation about something we had to do and just thinking wow you know they're so well spoken or their idea was really good or look at their energy and their passion I I I didn't know if I was that kind of you know person so I it was always you know comparing myself to others and and finally after a few real a few years and when I started like putting the training packs together like my my ideas together I realized the most important thing you can do in the classroom is be yourself when you're not being yourself, it's not exactly the students can tell, but you're probably not having as much fun as you could be. And so students won't be having fun either. You know, uh, we're all very sensitive to each other's energies and kids haven't built up the barriers yet, you know, against other people's energy and and uh, personalities. So So they absorb everything and they can see when when you're not really having a good day you know we can't always be having a good day totally get that but um i just thought it was really important to to get out there that you know be yourself try and find things that you like to do and incorporate it into your lesson you know obviously don't ignore the students needs don't ignore the objectives of what you're trying to teach them but um i i lecture about camps and after school classes so these are perfect opportunities for teachers to kind of come back to themselves when you first come to Korea, you're, you're thrown into a foreign culture. I'd already been to South Korea five times. And I thought, I know this country. I know this place. You know, I've got a bit of the language down. And I came to Busan and I was just like, you know, it was complete culture shock because I wasn't expecting the culture shock. But I was still culture shocked. Living in a country is so different from visiting for a few weeks or months. So, you know, you're dealing with so much. And then 
finally towards the summer, you know, the first camps you get in the summer, you it's hard to prepare. So I, I help the teachers to understand like what they need to do to prepare, what kind of things they can include, um, you know, how to how to kind of build their camps or after school classes around around themselves and kind of come back to themselves. I'm hoping that's what I get across at least. It's a fabulous approach to take, you know, be, well, I absolutely agree with being authentic, uh, but that to communicate that to your, your, uh, I don't know if these are uh, in-service or pre-service teachers, but. They're usually, yeah, pre-service teachers. So a, a lot of the things I'll talk about will probably go right over their heads <laughs> because I was the same when I was in orientation. I was like, oh yeah, I think I understand. It's not until you start teaching that these things really start to mean something, especially if you're a, you know, a new teacher. Yeah, those aha but, um, moments. Yeah, but I'm I'm hoping that you know I I have I get uh, contacted sometimes with questions, which is great because I'm like, oh, they remembered what I said. I'm usually on the last day of the training. Um, it's not saying what I'm training is not important, but uh, you know, there's more important. There's more uh, things that are a priority for them, mm. and and my my lecture is perhaps not one of the priorities, but. Yeah, it's still a big part, you know, camps are, for me at least, especially the first few times, it was like, wow, this huge thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I made way too much of a deal out of it than I should have, I, I should have. but um, I'm really I'm really glad to be able to give something back. So, I mean, as foreign teachers, we, we all come from different cultures. This was a thing that I realized, we're not all the same, you know, even when I speak to Americans, they all have completely different, you know, backgrounds, depending on from what area of the United States they come from. And that was really interesting to me because we some we sometimes generalize, you know, or a, a UK person is going to be like this, an Australian person is going to be like this, and Korean teachers do it too. They're like, oh, you're from England, so you like Harry Potter, and and you know, oh, you have a queen, and you know, different things. And yeah, a lot of it's true, but sometimes um, they'll ask me what my favorite food is, and they get shocked because I'm like, oh, I love Indian food, and they're like, why? I'm like, you don't know about Indian food in the UK? You don't know the history, you know? Yeah. A little bit of, you know, not a great history. But, you know, there, there's lots of things that actually students don't know. They have very big generalizations about, sure. about uh, English-speaking cultures. And there's so much you can bring into your lessons. And, and they are interested. They, they need to be. They need to be exposed and, and to learn about the, the differences out there. Absolutely. I, I think you're, yeah. you're right on. Um, I'm really, I don't know, uh, excited and uplifted that you're bringing your graphic designer, just your design mind into your teacher training. I just think that is, is so perfect. I'm kind of wondering why you are here, I'm kind of going back to what I maybe would have, should have started this interview with is, is why did you, you come? Why did you leave a graphic design career and, you know, and come to Korea? And this is kind of a life altering journey, isn't it? Right. So I'd for a long time, I think any of my friends I grew up with or, you know, knew in uh, kind of high school and uh, university will be able to tell you I have been low-key obsessed with South Korea since they can remember. I mean, this was before K-pop, so this is not a, a product of specifically, you know, uh, what they call the Korean wave uh, that didn't exist when I was first getting interested in Korea. I would say I was interested in Asia as a whole. Initially, you know, I was actually really interested in uh, Chinese language, especially the characters, you know, they're so beautiful. And so I was exploring, you know, 
I guess, kind of Asian cultures. And in London, I mean, we had a Chinatown. I would try to go up there and eat food. There's a huge Japanese community in London, but it, it wasn't as noticeable, like apart from Japanese restaurants, which often aren't run by Japanese, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know, not always. There wasn't, there was a Japan center as well. And then uh, one day I discovered, oh, there was a Korean center in London, Korean, mm. the KCC, Korean Cultural Center. And um, they had a library, you know, they had language books, they had Uh, movies you couldn't take them out you could watch them there in like a movie room they had art exhibitions and it it was you know I just started getting interested in Korean culture as well I had a few Korean friends at school who had come over uh, while I was in high school and I happened to live in in southwest London near a really huge South Korean population and as I got older you know I would start going there to see my friends Uh, eat in the restaurants uh, near you know Mm. near their houses and I remember the first time I tried Korean food I was 14 and it was an experience it was it wasn't spicy my friend's mom made sure that it wasn't spicy but I'd never I'd never had it was kind of samba and I'd never I just didn't know what to think and I think we had a little soup and I think it was just you know the, the little egg soup it has egg in it I'm not sure what it's called it's just watery and you usually oh, like get it with Chinese. Uh, yeah, you usually get it with soup. Korean. Yeah, egg drop soup. That's that's the English. But she told me it was shark fin soup because she didn't know how to translate it into English. So I was like, oh my god, I had shark. And I told my mom, and she was like, I'm pretty sure there wasn't shark in there. Um, and it, later, of course, I, I figured out it was just egg. But I was horrified. But yeah, so I just remember that so vividly, you know. The first time I had Korean food. Well, kudos to the uh, Korean, I don't know, Korean Culture and Exchange Ministry uh, that I'm guessing that they had something to do with uh, putting that KCC, the Korean Culture Center, together. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a Korean film festival every year, which I've tried to attend a few times. And they really, you know, they invite artists, like painters, all, all types, all genre of artists, um, musicians. There's a community of South Korean and maybe, no, probably just South Korean musicians in uh, London. There's, you know, uh, related blogs and websites. And now it's really huge. Now, of course, because of the, the, the Korean wave, uh, you know, Korean food in London, you can find Korean restaurants like the Chimek places are popping up and it's amazing Uh, but when I was younger it was really hard to access Korean culture so to be honest I'd go down to blockbusters when that existed and then they had an Asian horror section and or they'd have the Hong Kong like movies what are they called Hong Kong like gangster movies then they'd have like Japanese horror and then they'd have Korean horror so I started literally with the horror movies because that's what I could get my hands on and uh I didn't watch that many, but I loved the Lady Lady Vengeance trilogy when that came out. That was in the 90s or early 2000s when I was able to get my hands on that. This was before YouTube and streaming, you know. So I, I just was curious and the language, it was so difficult to understand, you know. And even finding Korean lessons was so difficult back in in the two, early 2000s. I I had to go to SOAS, the School of Oriental Oriental and African Studies uh, in central London, 
for evening classes and it was expensive. Well, I'm surprised they didn't offer that. I imagine they tried, but maybe they couldn't find somebody to, to teach it at the, uh, the KCC. That seems um, like something up their alley. I think they might have had classes, um, but I wasn't a complete beginner at that time. Hmm. And I can't remember, maybe the timings weren't quite right. Maybe they didn't have the budget for it at the time. Now I know that they do a lot of programs and even, you know, K-pop English or like, sure. you know, K-pop culture things. They, they really working hard, but there's a demand for it now. When I was first, you know, interested in Korea, the, I think that was part of my interest was that it was so hard to find anything. You just like a challenge. Yeah, it was a challenge. And I remember asking my, my high school friend, um, she showed me a picture of her and her high school friends just before she left for the UK, standing outside. And they were all wearing coats, like the padded coat with socks and slippers. And now we, we know, living in Korea, we know. That's the uniform. You wear slippers in school. But I couldn't understand. There was snow on the ground around them. They weren't standing on it, but there was snow on the ground. Why are you wearing socks and slippers when it's like minus 10 degrees, as you just told me? And I just couldn't understand. There were so many questions. Why don't you wear uh, shoes in school? Why do you go to school at 7 a.m. and leave at like 10 p.m.? Because they were at the time she was a high school student. Right. Um, you know, why, why, why this, why that? Whenever she told me about her life, I was so curious. I just couldn't, couldn't fathom it. And now I think there's more on TV. You know, you can just look things up on, on BBC iPlayer and learn about different, or, you know, people post on YouTube about this is what a day in the life of school in, you know, Texas is. This is what a day in the mm. life of a German teenager is. You can find out now so easily. But um, then, you know, it was just you had to find out from people. You had to meet a real life person to find out, you know, what is your life like on the other side of the world? Yeah, I think that the way that you discovered it and discover is probably the correct word. Exploring and discovering is, to my mind, the best way to learn. But I suppose that you're exploring and discovering online is very similar. But I like the face to face and the people aspect of it that, that you that you experienced. I, I'm lucky. I've also, before I came to Korea, I was able to collect a lot of books about Korea. There, there weren't many at the time, you know, written in English, but um, there's some very interesting um, writers. And um, But a lot of people would give me uh, books about North Korea as well, oh. you know, because they, they thought, oh, you know, Kirsten, she's interested in Korea. So, oh, here's a book come out about, you know, the gulags. Let's let's give that to her for, as a Christmas present. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've obviously, you know, I've learned a lot about our, our brothers and sisters in the North. Mm. Yeah, it was uh, before I came here as well. Uh, it was uh, interesting, you know, uh, I did have a few people ask me, are you going to North Korea or South Korea? Not people I was mm. close to because they had already been educated on the differences. But uh, in shops, you know, I was buying something and they're like, oh, you're traveling. Where are you going? I think you're a unique individual. I think most people come to Korea on a on a whim uh, or just like on a moment's notice or because, you know, they're paying. They want to pay off a school debt or they've just uh, broke up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they want to change their life, something like that. But you've yeah. actually came with knowledge and preparation like that is yeah. unique. I'll I'll be honest, when I was younger, I didn't really believe I could. I wanted to come here, but I didn't really believe that it would ever happen. I don't know why. <laughs> and um, 
I think as well, I was very young. I even wanted or was considering going to university in South Korea, but that would have been in the year 2000. And the Korean internet, I mean, at that time, it was really hard to find information. And it wasn't really a thing that people did, you know, studying in South Korea. I even approached at university, I think it was around 2007, I approached my tutors to do an exchange between my university, which was Kingston, in southwest london and hongik university uh, in seoul because they had a kind of exchange with a different department i think it was the not interior design a product design department they had exchanges but my my you know my graphics tutor or supervisor was just like oh oh you know i mean we might consider the erasmus program like europe but uh i don't think south korea you know you'll be so behind when you come back because you won't have done some of the projects and it was just I don't think like she was really against it but I think I needed to build a case and or be very mm-hmm. insistent and at that time I was not that kind of person so I I didn't I wasn't really fierce enough when I was younger to, to be able to come here and I do regret sometimes that I didn't come here when I was younger but you know I wouldn't have had all the experiences in the industry that I worked in I wouldn't have met half the people I I would have met after leaving university and working. So I, uh, you know, it's, I'd love to have come here when I was younger, but at the same time, I think for myself, I came at the right time. I was, I was confident enough and strong enough to deal with, with transplanting my life to, to the other side of the world. Are you a fierce person now? Oh yes, I think. I mean, maybe I don't come across as fierce, but I am incredibly determined. Whenever I face problems here, I am incredibly determined to find a solution that works for me. Um, to be fair, some of these problems are like figuring out my gas bill. But I remember <laughs> in my first year here, I was like, I am going to understand what this means. I, I'm going to keep coming back to this until whenever I get a gas bill, I can glance at the right places and just know what it means. I think Kotisal is very lucky to have you, uh, such a fierce person, on their side and and, uh, and working to be an integral part of the organization. I think you're you're exactly what they need. Perhaps stubborn. <laughs> Stubborn's good, up. can be good, yeah. That's not bad. But um, usually it's a very internal process. I don't think people know that I'm I'm like... You don't you know, look fierce. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's going on in the inside, you know. Yeah. How can I make this work? What can I do? To, mm. to, to persuade this person that this is a good idea. I think right. maybe that comes from the industry I worked in. You know, you've, you've got to show a very, right. very kind and welcoming face, but, uh, you know, you've got to also guide the clients to the right choices because they're not always going to make the right choices for their project. Sure. Well, I'm so impressed that, that it's a design background that informs uh, a lot of what you do. Uh, I wanted to ask, and I haven't asked anyone else this question, about a teaching tip. I thought it would be a good thing to include in the podcast, each podcast. Oh, that's nice. But what tip could I what tip could I give? I know I'm putting you on the spot. You uh, are. I apologize for that. But you're you're fierce and So, I mean, this was a really um, actually I think it would work with a range of ages. Sometimes okay. a little competition can be really exciting. So I actually got this idea, it's not my original idea, but from a teacher training uh, I did in December, which was through the public school system. We do sometimes get opportunities to 
to have a little training. And one teacher who was there said that they do a reading race. So you separate the students into groups and, you know, there's a passage which they, they've practiced or as part of the lesson and they have to race to read it and you time them. But you don't just do it within the class. You can do it across classes. So after you've done a little race in the class, you can get the whole class to do it together, time them and then compare them to other classes in the grade. And he said it works really well. And I was like, oh, you know, it's not going to work. They're not going to be into it. It's the most awake and turned on I have seen them all year. They literally, once they understood what was going on, we did it, we did it twice. We did it one week and we did it again the next week. They were so into it. They, they really liked competing against other classes. So now I'm not always a fan of competition and making students compete against each other just for the reason that I think there's way too much competitiveness kind of forced upon them. In general, you know, I, I think Korean society is so competitive and I've seen it make students go from really caring and conscientious uh, people to, to, to being quite mean to their classmates um, because they're under so much pressure to perform and do well. But I think if you do it in that sense of having the classes compete against each other, it can be quite, it can really energize them. I'm not sure if that's really a good teacher tip. I think a better teacher tip would be be yourself, be authentic. <laughs> okay, listeners, Kirsten is sharing two teaching tips for the price of one. I know. This really has been a bonus interview. If you want to learn more about Kirsten's version of the reading race, you can contact her through the Busan Gyeongnam chapter website. Or if you are really fast... You can try and catch her as she flies about the Kotisal International Conference. Good luck with that. As an alternative, I am including in the show notes a link to another version of the reading race. It has quite a different focus, but may interest you also. Thank you, Kirsten Razek, for sharing your time and teaching tips with us today. Okay, okay. This podcast presentation has been brought to you by the Youngin Gyeonggi chapter of Kotisal, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting scholarship, dissemination of information, and facilitating cross-cultural understanding of teaching and learning English in Korea. Thank you for listening.